Hi, Filmatics. Thanks for joining us today. We have an amazing guest for you. We have Alex Kushner. Alex is a TV producer known for How I Made My Millions and The Katie Show. The Katie as in Katie Couric. Alex is now the co-owner of Icon Media. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? How's your day? How's the evening? What's cooking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex is in the house. Alex, so we, uh, can you let our audience know where are you recording um, with us live today from? Yeah, I am probably like most people right now. I am at home uh, in my uh, dining room right now, actually. I just moved about a, a couple months ago from Los Angeles uh, to Orange County, just get more space. Um, I'm going to be expecting uh, my first child in the next uh, four months. So we're really moved closer to my mother-in-law. Um, down in uh, near Dana Point. And uh, so, yeah, just filming at the house right now and doing most of my work out of the house. Um, my business was located in West Hollywood. We had offices there, but we're all remote, remote uh, until uh, further notice. <laughs> ah, well, congratulations on your new um, baby and your first child. Oh, that's amazing. That must be feeling so wonderful. Yeah, I feel really good. I feel I'm, you know, everyone's like, how, you know, are you scared? Are you nervous? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not nervous or scared. I'm more just excited and to see what he looks like and what he's good at and just that he's healthy. Those are the most important. Yes, yes. Uh, and many blessings. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, Thank you. Yeah. So speaking of having a child, when you were a child, was there a favorite film that you just loved as a kid? <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's a good question. And, you know, I grew up, so I was born in 1987. I'm 33 years old. I'll be 34 this year. So, um, you know, getting up there a little bit, but it's still, still pretty young. Uh, and so 90s, the 90s was a really big, the early 90s was a really big era for me. And growing up as a child of the early 90s, uh, I liked movies like Hook, uh, Steven Spielberg's Hook. I just, I was so infatuated with that movie it just you know i loved how it started out in like the real world and then you got brought into this fantasy world um i don't know that movie always stuck out to me and then even when i watched it later in life i'm like this movie is still so good um and that's a spielberg film uh obviously one of the best directors of all time um and so yeah that movie really stuck out to me as a kid i actually i loved um this didn't come out in the 90s but I loved Abbott and Costello, um, like black and white, something about the black and white nostalgic. My dad loved watching it, so I would watch it as a kid with him. And I just, I don't know, that that style, black and white comedy, like slight like horror. I don't know if whoever's watching has ever seen Abbott and Costello movies, but they do a lot of like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, meet the <laughs> Invisible Man. And like, I don't know, they just added this element of like, like, comedy and horror and uh like a light familyness to it that i just I, I love watching it still to this day um so uh those are some really good just childhood memories uh of movies that i enjoyed really fantastic i also i'm a big fan of groucho marx i mean oh my god i just favorite of of uh groucho marx just amazing same thing like i think that uh the comedy like the the, the the talent of Abbott and Costello and uh -huh. they're just rare standouts and the fact that we can still watch them today and just watch them over and over again because it's hard for me to watch things over and over again I don't know about you yeah yeah so and uh we Absolutely. need comedy too especially right now we need comedy 
A hundred percent. Yeah, there. Yeah, something about I don't know yet yeah, the talent level and also how the comedy was written. I mean, I watched it with my brother and sister in law, maybe like last Christmas, some Abbott and Costello movies, and like you're still laughing. Like, yeah, the technology. It's a totally different era. You're talking about like seventy years ago or whatever it was, and it's just still funny. Like, just the way it was written, them as as talent as these com- comedic geniuses i mean literally they've they've influenced the lives of of thousands of comedians from jerry seinfeld to many others that that have seen them in the, in the past so yeah it's just they're rare those types of people and uh come around every so often that can pull off comedy like that yeah and then when you're speaking of hook i you know i always you know one of my go-tos is uh the the goonies you know and like when you said yep. hook and i was like um yeah, so so great. So um, when your when your child grows up a little bit older, there's a wonderful podcast, Enchanting Book Readings, and uh, okay. we, we did the hook. We did an episode of Hook. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, such a fun movie. That yeah, it's just you know Spielberg is obviously just one of the most genius directors and i've i've heard his some of his story of like what he did to like get into the business of like sneaking onto movie sets and like kind of just like you know shoving his way into uh you know learning how movies are made and i don't think you could probably do that anymore security is pretty tight but i'm sure back in the 60s and you know when he was doing it that uh those things were a lot easily uh done um and him learning about story and character development and how to make it feel a certain way. And he was a very hands-on director, literally put like the camera rig on his shoulders and running down, you know, an alleyway and just doing it himself. Um, I always, I always appreciated those stories about him, especially early on in his career. Yeah. Sneaking, there, there's probably no more sneaking on a lot anyway. <laughs> Not anymore. So uh, if you want to go try that, I'm sure there's other ways of trying to get on movie sets and lots and just learning because that is always the best way to start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a couple times whenever I had to go on a lot, I'd be like, oh, maybe I could take a detour around here. And you'd just be like, oh, what's this building? And you'd quickly go in and you're like, la, 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 la. And um, I remember going into <laughs> seeing animators draw and stuff like that and just meeting people. And I did meet the editor of um, – the Dr. Phil show who ended up editing my, one of my short films. So, um, yeah, yeah. I was working at the lot at that time, (laughs) but it was always like, I'll just explore this building on the way over here. Yeah. Exploration (laughs) adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little bit harder for females because we don't have like, uh, all my guy friends had their like best friends from college or high school and they'd all stick together on every single project. And every time I did um, a short film, I would have to find a new DP, a new crew. And it's kind of time consuming, but I always wish that I had that team of great uh, people to work with consistently. But um, any independent filmmaker, it's a hard world. So we're going to ask you. um, So you kind of talked about your favorite um, saying Steven Spielberg is a favorite director. Is there a... um, you know, a a film shot that you'd like to share with us. That's one of your favorites from a movie that he did or just in general, any, any director that you'd like to um, share with us. Cause we, we, we are film addicts. We love learning. We love learning about directing and, and studying as well. So we appreciate Uh um, our guests telling us their favorite um, directors and favorite film shots. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I so I went to Baylor University Film School, so I I kind of have this nice journey of of when I when I was a freshman in college, I didn't know what to st- I, I I didn't know what to do, what to major in, and I studied in sports business, and I was a, I was an athlete, and I loved sports, and I'm like business, okay. But that first semester of freshman year, and I, I'm going back to this because it's going to lead into uh, uh, the story of, of a great shot. But um, and I think it's also important to tell your own story um, when people listen to this. So I didn't know what to study and what to film. But I remember in high school, I took TV production classes and I loved it. I was like, oh, my God, I there was it was fun. I could be creative. I can do whatever I wanted. My imagination run wild and create any types of shots I wanted and edit them a certain way <laughs> and make people like, you know, we made mockumentaries and it was great. And then I got to college and I literally my freshman year of college, my GPA was like a one point three because I was not doing what I loved. I, I, I did not like sports business. I had to read the Wall Street Journal every day. And I was like, oh, my God. I literally had a 1.3 GPA. My parents were like, what the hell are, are you going to college for? And that's when I remembered I loved filmmaking. I loved telling stories. And I switched my major to film. And one of the first classes is like film history. And literally since that sec- second semester in college till I graduated, I had like a 3.8 GPA. Because I, I just switched and I did what I started loving, and uh, and it was the best decision of like my my young you know life at that moment where I did something I loved and I was passionate about, and we got to learn about all these great filmmakers and all these beautiful shots that they did and how they pulled them off, and um, you know we we always went over you know historical filmmaking from like the twenties and even earlier than that, but the thirties, um, and how, you know, there was always that famous like staircase shot of, and I can't remember what movie it's from. Alfred you Hitchcock, might, perhaps? what was it? I don't know. Alfred Hitchcock, perhaps. Yeah, probably Alfred Hitchcock or there was just, and so there was one, it, it was like a, a the, the, the scene I remember that's sticking out to me is like the baby falling from a staircase, uh, not a staircase, but like steps. Um, in like, uh, I feel like Rosemary's it was like an baby. Eastern. Rosemary's baby. Uh, I can't remember. It was an old movie from like the twenties or thirties. To throw a baby out of It was yeah. There's a there's a, a baby carriage and it's about to fall down these really long steps. And it was made a very long time ago, but it, it was just then the way it was edited and the way it was shot. Even back then, you watch it, and you know, eighty years later, ninety years later, whatever it is, two thousand twenty-one now, um, and you still feel that like, oh my god, the carriage is about to fall, and like, obviously, there's no baby in it. Like, it was shot so long ago, um, and like, you know, it was like it looks obviously not like real because it's like you know kind of jittery and like old looking and the people you know because the frame rates and all that stuff but it just goes to show you like human emotion and uh you know played you know such an important factor in in you know how you film and how you shoot and how you edit um so that was an i, I can't remember a movie it's from a very old classic film um you know you probably can google like baby carriage falling down you know steps uh movie shot and it'll come up um and so i remember that that was a really powerful scene because i was like i was like i can do that uh you know it was like at college was like 2003 2004 um and replicate those scenes um and then other other scenes that i really loved i mean we learned so much in school like it was a great i i do recommend film school and learning and educating i think everyone has their own journey and path but film school like learning the the history and how things are made and what you know, what it takes to do is a great establishing point of like 
how do you create a scene, what you need, who you need, um, because there's so much that goes into creating a shot. I mean, from how it's lit to the, the direction of the camera movements to is it a single shot that you're going down an alleyway where, you know, the, all these different things are happening or are there are multiple cuts within it. It's like you have to think about so much and so many different things of how to pull off a certain shot. Um, and then until you try it and do it, um, you know, you, you realize the, uh, the size and scale of like some of these movies, um, even, or even TV shows, you know, if we're, we're paring it down to something like how I made my millions on CNBC, which I worked on, um, you know, you always think about, you know, how you're going to shoot particular shots and scenes, uh, in that show, whether, you know, you're doing recreations or, um, you know, you're shooting products or interviews, but yeah, I think, you know, I can go, I can talk about a million different things in terms of how to shoot a scene and what are some of my favorites. But, um, you know, I, I talked about Spielberg earlier, but I just, yeah, I think he literally like people talk about him because he is that freaking good. Um, and especially early on in his career, um, you know, he would literally, I think it was Indiana Jones, um, or, or one of those movies where literally he'd like run around with like the shoulder camera rig, like up and down the street, like, not a lot of directors are doing that kind of stuff anymore. I'm sure there's a lot of big egos and stuff like that, but um, where they're actually physically taking the camera and, and shooting. Um, I just, I, I just think that that amount of amount of like energy and passion. Um, those are the, those are the great ones. Like those who do that. And especially, you know, I mean, he's older, a little older now, but when you're young and you have the energy, like, you know, uh, you know, do those things and, and you will, reap the rewards because then you can really you know i want this shot and this is how i'm gonna do it and you go shoot it <laughs> boom and you make it and it looks amazing like that i love i love that style and i love that tone uh, when a director puts it all on him um because it is it's all on you yeah let, let me ask you because um uh, so uh when doing tv you you yours uh is your format because people we, we we talk about films, but we love since you're a TV um, director. Mm -hmm. Yours is the format. Um, would they be considered talk shows? And um, what what format would you? I've I've worked on everything. Yeah, so I started my career at CNBC on a show called How I Made My Millions, which was a um, like a docu series. Uh, it was talking about entrepreneurs who had made you know multiple millions of dollars. People who started like Nerf guns. I don't. Know, I'm sure everyone's shot or had a Nerf gun in their life. Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. So that was like a a story driven uh, docu series about these people's lives, how they got to where they are. Um, and their entrepreneurship jury. Katie Couric was a talk show really focused on, um, you know, the, the, the daily kind of things that were happening or weekly kind of uh, important events. Um, within the show, there was like packages, we call them in TV, where they're pre-produced and shot and filmed. Um, you know, when, when Katrina happened and, and a couple other big hurricanes that took place, uh, we would shoot film film packages uh about those things so there was a mix of of live and to tape um uh for the katie show then i i took uh and worked for huffington post and that was all uh so I, I, mean, I had this journey of traditional broadcast television into digital, which was Huffington Post, where uh i created content for a, a digital company um which was all uh, more story driven uh, real life stories about um, purpose uh, so stories about moms that created their own fashion companies for their differently able because they saw that you know uh, they 
their son wasn't wearing the cool clothes that the other kids were wearing because she couldn't get him in those clothes. So she went and created her own fashion company where all the butt it's buttoned up. Like, so finding really stories of purpose and how to create them. And, and those were for social, uh, and then went and into the digital space and over the top OTT networks like cheddar, uh, and creating stuff like that. So I have this really broad journey of traditional broadcasts, digital into OTT and and I, ha- I, I have not worked on any major motion picture. My, my life's really been in, in broadcast. Yeah, because you knew at that young age when you were in college that TV is uh, a TV producer is what your skills is and you're very good at it. And can you explain to people like um, what's the difference um, between the format of shooting something like a talk show like um, Katie Couric? Is it um, how many cameras do you use? And then like you said, a docu-doc. Oh. Yeah, I mean going live on the Katie show. I mean, it's just a much bigger production. You have directors and you have, uh, you know, uh, so many different types of producers, um, depending on the show for that day. Um, typically you have, you know, uh, a, wi- a wide establishing shot. You have probably like five to six cameras, uh, on a live set like that. Um, you know, ISO shots for each individual, including Katie's ISO, um, meaning they're, you know, they're individual shot, uh, wide shots, pickup shots, crowd shots. Um, you know, you have like six, six plus cameras in there, uh, live of filming. It's, it's, it's a different, um, way of shooting when, in, in terms of like, you know, you have a director, um, you know, kind of, Telling EJ, all right, all right, take camera six, uh, hold camera six, uh, you know, take camera C, go to camera, you know, it's like, it's just a different way of filming. It's still, you have to have this like story arc in as the director of like a live TV show because you start out wide and establish the shot and then you go to Katie's ISO shot and slowly push into her face. And like, it's like you're live producing a, a scene um, where, where in um, pre taped packages and stories, um, you have the time and the capacity to really um, take, you know, do multiple takes and like, Hey, can you say that line again? Can, Hey, can we do the reverse angle of this? Can we get, let's start with a wide shot here and then let's get a, a extreme close up of this. And like, it's just, there's just, just a different way of, of shooting. And um, where I like live, uh, especially on the Katie show, like the pressure is way higher and I actually don't prefer that. <laughs> I like when things are pre-taped and you can take the time to finesse things and make things look great. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of pressure on a live show. You have um, five to six cameras. Oh, yeah. And um, so that so that's just, they have all the coverage that's needed, right? The a wide shot, yeah. the extreme close-ups. What other shots are there? They're the wide, the medium, the close-up? You have a crowd shot, yeah, wide. You have a wide establishing shot of the whole set. You have ISO shots of each individual guest and also the host. You have a crowd shots, um, you know, that are picking up, you know, reaction shots from the crowd all going on simultaneously. And in the control room, you can see, you know, every single different camera. And as the director, it's your job to direct the shots. Okay. We're starting out here and you, you're literally talking to, um, you know, the person controlling, um, which cameras you're taking and when the assistant director, um, and the camera operators are all in your ear and you're literally just telling them, you know, Hey, I need you, you get a shot of that woman over there. And then like you wait and then you go, okay, take camera C. And now it's the shot of the woman's face <laughs> laughing. All right, cut, go back to Katie, back to Katie. Boom, boom. And it's like this live directing and editing all simultaneously when, and you know, there's like a, a, a couple second delay from broadcast to like how it actually is broadcast. So there's like such a small, window couple window of like 
making things look like crap and messing up. And I, it's so funny. I'll, I'll watch television. I'll know exactly when they like, they totally messed that up. <laughs> You're like, I but it is it's, the it's, pressure's uh, very high and stressful in life, which uh, I, it almost like. sounds like you're a composer and you have like, yeah. you're doing a symphony. So like the director is like a, a, a live composer of a music yeah. symphony. And then, so Absolutely. what, so what would you say is your favorite was on the documentary style? You liked a little bit better or which style? Do yeah. You yeah. I love, I personally love like real life stories that you can adapt into, you know, emotional, powerful pieces. That's my favorite. I, I do like that. Like docu-series, documentaries. I just really enjoy, you know, taking the time to get things right and and shoot them in a in a beautiful way and making sure you're getting the right emotion out of them. That's my favorite um, kind of way or of approaching. I, I don't. I, I've shifted out of live and all that for a reason, um, where I can take the time to you know create what I want to create and um, and not have the pressure of like you know fifty people in a control room <laughs> yelling and screaming <laughs> yeah all those people yeah um i have a so uh when you were filming um your show the how i made my millions do you have a funny story on the set like uh one any funny stories that you can oh, share <laughs> i'm trying to let me think uh, i'm trying to think of something that was funny we more had fun in the edit room okay. <laughs> <laughs> i always i always had more fun with the editors uh editing uh projects i had such funny guys that i worked with um in the edit suite uh <laughs> than production i'm trying to think of a good funny story that uh, off the top of my head from those days um man no i mean nothing nothing is just like coming to me right now i'm trying to think if there's something from then um or what, you know, working. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. What about a unique house? Since they're all millionaires, was there a fun house that you remember? Like, oh, this they have this, this and this. Because I remember going to when I first moved here from Florida, my friend invited me to San Diego and there mm -hmm. was this uh, person that had this big house. And it was my first house experience that had a grotto in the bottom of the house in caves mm. and grottos. And you're like, there's a cave in this house. <laughs> and it was just yeah. like, what? And um, people have crazy houses. Yeah, I literally was at this one house and I went to their basement and they had, I mean, I joke you not like 30 foot ceilings in their basement and the whole wall, maybe like a 40 foot long wall of candy tubes. So like they literally had like, let's say a 30 by 40 wall from floor to ceiling uh, with candy filled tubes. Like, I mean, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of candy on a wall. Like oh you were at gosh. a Willy Wonka factory and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that? Like, I don't know. I just never seen anything like that before. Um, um, now you know why he's so the most popular cool. kid on the block, right? Like, let's go to Joey's house. And you're like, what is everyone oh, to go to Joey's house? God. Yeah, it was literally like, I was like, giant tubes, 40 feet high, full of different kinds of candy. And I was just like, what? Like, yeah, it was and a recess and old peanut butter cup. <laughs> I mean, they had everything, chocolate, Reese's, Pieces, gummy bears, Sour Patch Kids, whatever you wanted. It was just insane. I was just like, wow. Oh, so you, is your kid going to have those um, those tubes of candy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe one day. Uh, no, I mean, that's it was, I'm, not, I'm not extreme or extravagant. I don't think I'd ever do something like that. But, yeah, it was definitely extravagant. <laughs> yeah. And my other friend, I went to his house and this is more in Bel Air. And um, so they're showing us around and uh, they have like a basketball court behind their house. They have a tennis court behind their house. They've got the mm -hmm. I go basketball court 
and a tennis court and a pool. It was so crazy. And they had like floor seats to the Lakers and Kings. So some people's lives are just completely different than than most artists. Most artists, I think we we create and like most of us probably are just have a humble life, humble beginnings. And, you know, but um, I think we create because we have nothing. So our biggest uh, treasure is our imagination. Our biggest wealth is our imagination. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, it, it, it is nice to, you know, enjoy those beautiful things in life. So uh, <laughs> I was just like, oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's all balance. It's all about balance. Like I know billionaires who have what you think to be everything in the world are the most depressed, negative people in the world. And uh, I know people that do, you know, just, you know, daily tasks, maybe make 60, 65,000 a year. And they're like the most happy, jolly. I know a monk who literally has nothing and he's the happiest person I've ever met in my whole life. And it's like, it's just all balance and perspective of like what you want. And yeah, like I, I honestly, like I didn't go into filmmaking and all that to be poor. Like I want to have wealth and create, you know, abundance for myself. So what's the balance? And I think it's like you as a creator and as an entertainer and as a creative person, you know, you have to pay the bills. You, there's real things in life that cost money and you have to understand and figure out what it is in life that will um, drive your purpose. And if you find that and, and drive your, and you know, what makes you happy because uh, there, it isn't fun to be poor and broke, but it is, uh, and it's nice to have money, but it's also nice to do the things that you love. So it's all about finding your purpose and your passions and, and working on those things each and every day. Um, and, and I find that, that the, having the awareness and the balance and understanding of those things is actually what will give you really uh, a fulfilled life. Yeah. And, and so it's going to um, lead me to ask you. So we know you did all these great shows and you went to college. Where did you grow up, um, Alex? Did you grow up in L.A. or? No, no. Everyone thinks I grew up in L.A. I grew up in New Jersey. So I was actually born in New York City. Uh, my mom and dad, my dad grew up in Brooklyn and Williamsburg and my mom grew up in the uh, East village. So I'm like really hardcore New Yorker. Um, <laughs> even though I do not sound like it, no, people you think don't. I'm from LA. Yeah. My parents are like, like grew up. So then I grew up, I was born in New York city and you know, my parents would go to work every day and I was raised by my grandma, uh, you know, during the day as a child. So she lived on St. Mark's place, uh, since the fifties. So I was in between St. Mark's place and, uh, and New Jersey, um, in my childhood. So I've seen a lot of weird, interesting stuff growing up. Tompkins square park. For those of you who knew that it was like known as needle park in the nineties, walking around on a swing set while guys are doing heroin. And I'm a little kid. Like I just, you know, I, I had a very lucky childhood in the sense of that. I was, um, I saw a lot of things unknowing what was going on because I had a great mom and dad and a great grandma. Um, so it was very eclectic and seeing different types of backgrounds, but I'm a total New York city, uh, New Jersey guy. Ah, wonderful. And so, so you came from New York and how'd you make your transition to LA and to get your first, you know, your first gig? Yeah. So I, I started my career. So after college, I went to college in Texas, Baylor universities in Texas, and then I moved back to the East coast. So I, my whole, uh, you know, 10 year plus career in television was all in New York city. So I worked like, uh, at CNBC, ABC, uh, NBC, uh, Huffington post cheddar, which is a major OTT network. Um, so that whole career was in New Jersey or sorry, New York city. And then, um, I, I kind of, 
finalize that career because a good friend of mine uh, and now my business partner, his name is Jay Shetty. He's become a huge, he's got about 42 million followers on social media now. Um, just started growing, growing. And he approached me. He's like, Alex, you know, we did this great work at Huffington Post in this genre of good and purpose and telling these stories to inspire and motivate people. And, you know, from mental health to gender equality to sustainability. Um, do you want to create a media company focused on good? And I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> so that was the trigger. So back in 2018, in July of 2018, I quit my job. I, I kind of finished my career as a TV producer. My parents thought I was insane because they're like, you have this great career, you have this and you have that. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm moving across the country. I'm going to start my own business in Los Angeles. So I moved from from New York to LA uh, in August of 2018. And since then, I've been out here uh, building Icon Media, which is a purpose-driven content studio dedicated to creating uh, content uh, on whatever platform, whether it's social media or Netflix, um, that is purpose-led. Um, so that's it's not only entertaining, we want to make sure that what we're creating is entertaining and educational, um, but that it would make a positive impact on people's lives and what they were watching. Um, and so that is what I've been focused on for the past two years. Um, and it's been a beautiful journey, a lot of learning, a lot of understanding. Um, we have a team of about 13 people, writers and producers, um, you know, uh, working with brands and production studios uh, to create purpose-driven content. Yeah. So, so Alex, um, so you are the, it's called Icon Media. Real quickly, um, before um, time's up, yeah. can you just explain, like, where would uh, they be able to see the stuff that you are uh, for your Icon Media, where is it streaming? Yeah, yeah you can go to iconmedia.agency. Um, so that's our website, and you can see a lot of our work on there. 99% of what we've done so far lives on social media. So we, we came from the vein of creating um, high-quality content in terms of social media, story-driven emotional content on social media, um, that whether we're talking about relationships or we're talking about meditation and mental health, uh, stories that looked like they should live on a more premium platform, um, I, but for we're social. Gonna, we're going to invite the audience back to do part two, because I want them to really know about your good deeds here. Um, 